Okay, okay, okay. I'm back. I'm back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. Um, so like I said, um, I did. I, I've been doing this for you know a couple of times where I I come on, uh, and I give you guys my quick initial first reaction, uh, and I'm gonna give you guys my first reactions to the first two games of this series. Um, so you know. Shouts out to everybody listening. Uh, I thank you guys. I appreciate you guys for continuing to rock with me and listen to me. Uh, I will obviously I will have a full uh, episode uh, dropping on Wednesday, so you can tune in for Wednesday's episode. I may have a guest, um, but you can tune in for Wednesday's episode. But this is just like a quick, brief reaction to the first two games of the series what I what my you know what are my thoughts obviously you guys know my prediction uh, I picked the warriors to win this series um so that that that's that uh but after two whole games and first and foremost before I even get started into my reaction uh you know I'm your humble and I'm your humble and highly favorite host Isaiah Kid of the Isaiah Kid podcast welcome back welcome back Shouts out to all the first-time listeners. Shouts out to all the, um, you know, the regular listeners. You're a regular listener to the pod, um, and you share the pod with other people, and you're growing the community. Shouts out to you as well. Um, so, like I said, after the first two games at Golden State, uh, we have a tied series 1-1, going back to Boston for game three on Wednesday. <clears throat> and I say this, uh, which I kind of figured – the refs are letting them play. Uh, I think in terms of the physical aspect of what we have seen, it favors Boston. It favors Boston. The the physicality that the the referee that the referees have allowed both teams, honestly, both teams to get away with, it favors Boston in the long run. And I do I do think in game two. You, on a defensive end, you saw you saw that physicality. You know, you saw you, you saw Golden State bring the physicality and put it right back in Boston's face. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna talk about Draymond Green um, and how impactful I thought he was on Game Two. Him and uh, Gary Payton, uh, the second first in Game One. Uh, obviously, Steph Curry gets off to a hot a hot start. Um, but despite the hot start in the first quarter, the 21 first quarter points, um, the war, I mean, the Celtics, they stayed steady. They stayed steady and they stayed in the ball game. Um, so it, 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 it was not that bad. And and going into halftime, the Celtics were up, what, two points? They were, they, they were up. They were leading going into halftime after game one. So even despite the Steph, you know, Steph going absolutely berserk in the first quarter, the Celtics weathered the storm, and that right there was an eye opener to me, um, because usually when you see the Warriors, when you see Steph, when you see one of the spat the Splash Brothers, um, or even you know at this point Jordan Poole, when you see one of those three guys really really get it going like Steph did um, in the first quarter, it, it, usually Golden State has somewhat of a sizable lead, at, or at least the lead at least. Um, going into halftime or so forth, but Boston kept it really neck and neck. So that was a real eye opener for me um, that they were able to weather that storm because usually teams are not able to weather that storm. So that was an eye opener. Um, the, then the third quarter run by the Warriors. Obviously, we know the Warriors, 
they're pro- they have probably been the best third quarter team in basketball over the past six years. Like over the past, like over the past six years, they have probably been the best third quarter team in basketball because they they just they I, I think in just a little bit of this goes to Steve Kerr with being able to make halftime adjustments. Cause I think a lot of that goes in, you know, with a great third quarter team, a lot of that goes into coaching, um, making out, coming out, making adjustments and, and, and then adjustments actually follow through. But then in the fourth quarter, Boston weathered that fourth, that third quarter storm. So Boston overcame really a lot. They overcame a poor shooting performance from Tatum. They overcame Steph Curry being, I mean, Steph Curry just being absolutely crazy in the first quarter of game one. And they overcame the Warriors, you know, traditional third quarter avalanche. Um, So going into the fourth quarter, the Celtics were down 14. Um, And I must say, throughout game one, even in the first half, but more so in the fourth quarter, the Celtics, the, the the looks that they were getting offensively was amazing. And as I've already talked about, um, on you know, coming into this series, the big key for me for Boston offensively was Marcus Smart. Like, obviously, when you think of Marcus Smart, you think of his defense, his passion, his energy, his effort, and so forth. But his offense, I, I, I said this coming into the series, I thought his offense was going to be really, really critical for the Celtics. And boy, he he did show up. He he showed up offensively in Game One, um, and that's ultimately where I said, "Hey, when Marcus Smart scores twenty plus points for the Celtics, they're undefeated in this postseason." Now, like I said, the the catch twenty two to that is that happens every third game, maybe that happens every three games. So that's not that's not his average now. His confidence and his shot and his shot selection, he looks like a you know he has the confidence of a twenty, you know twenty point per game score, but in actuality that's not what he is. Um, like I said, that type of, you get that type of production from Marcus Smart every three games maybe, that and that's what it is. So we'll see how that continues to fare. But you know they didn't only get contributions from Marcus Smart offensively. They got it from Al Horford with a 26-point game. He had a career high from three. Um, Peyton Pritchard came in. You know, his minutes have been spotted here. You know, he played some spot minutes, but he played really well in stretches of game one, especially in the fourth quarter. And then Derek White, he got he got it going in the fourth quarter. So it was an all-in effort despite Jason Tatum's poor shooting night in game one. Uh, the Celtics... You know, I thought they they really did a good job with weathering two difficult tornadoes, not just storms, but like tornadoes. I thought they did a great job weathering those storms. Um, now, with Golden State in game one, I thought uh, Clay Thompson could have played better offensively. Uh, Jordan Poole could have gave Golden State a little bit more. And ultimately, looking at game two, uh, cause I know that we, obviously we know the outcome of game two at this point, the Warriors, obviously Steph is going to get, you know, Steph is going to do what Steph does. Um, but the Warriors in this series, in order for them to win this series, they're going to definitely, they're going to definitely need Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson to play better offensively. Now, 
I shift a little bit to game two. Game two, uh, tightly contested first half. And in terms of, like I said, Steph is Steph. But then in terms of, you know, Clay is still having, um, uh, he's still struggling to shoot the basketball. I think he shot four for 19. I do think defensively tonight, uh, versus, you know, in game two, Clay, he he's all he always have his hands in the right place, um, and he gives a pretty good defensive effort. Uh, granted, he's probably he's he's not the defender that he once was, like pre-injury, but he still gives a really good defensive effort. And I thought he had some really good defensive moments. Um, and even with his four shots that he made, I thought he made a couple big shots in the third quarter to really extend that lead in game two. Um, so that that's what I say with Clay. With Jordan Poole, he came in and gave that spark like he usually does, um, something that we really didn't get from him in game one. Um, even in the first half, he shot one for five. He got a couple of his layups blocked. Um, so he was a bit, you know, a little bit, you know, rattled, I guess, a little bit to say, per se. But um, as we saw, he's he, – Made a jumper, got it going. He, you can see, you can see the bounce and the pep in his dribble. You can see the confidence building up a little bit. So hopefully, that is a welcoming sign for Golden State. Um, now, in terms of Draymond Green's impact, Draymond, I thought, and I've I mentioned it a little bit in Mem- in the Memphis series, where Draymond and the Warriors in Game One. They came out and they set the tone. They set the tone of the series in game one. Even with Draymond being ejected, and I didn't think, like I said, the Brandon Clark foul, I didn't think that was necessarily, uh, uh, you know, worthy of an ejection of a flagrant two, but it it is what it is. But Draymond set the tone. And in basketball, you always need an asshole. Like every great championship team has that one guy that you hate playing against, that you hate playing against, and he's just like he's just an, he's just a like a mosquito where you just keep swiping, you keep swiping, but you can never get it. It never you can never kill it. That's literally every great every championship caliber team has that one guy. Like literally, you can you can go through the list of champions. Every team has that one guy where he's just like he's like a, he's just a complete nuisance. He's an asshole. Like he's just he's just all over the place. Everybody has that. Everybody has this one guy. And with the Warriors for years, it's been Draymond. With the Celtics, it's Marcus Smart. The '80s Celtics, it was it was Danny Ainge. With the '80s Lakers, it was Kirk. You know, it was Kirk Rambis, Michael Thomas. Uh, you know, AC Green with the with the 80s Pistons, the bad boy Pistons. The Pistons had a couple. <laughs> they had a, actually a couple. Not nah, they had a handful of guys that that were like that. You know, obviously Bill Lambeer, Rick Mahorn, Dennis Rodman, guys that you just didn't, you just don't like. Like the opposing team hates that guy. The Bulls, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> you know, like. Everybody, you know, Charles, like every team, every championship caliber team has that guy where you just, you just hate him. You just hate him and the way he plays. And if you're his teammate, you love him. You love him and you love his passion. You love his effort. 
every great championship team has it. <laughs> every great championship team. I don't know what it is. And those type of guys are so vital. They're, and usually they're not you. They're usually not the most skilled guys. They're usually are, you know, they're, they're you know, they're out there to get a couple fouls. Now, obviously, Draymond Green, uh, you know, he's great defender, pretty good playmaker, I would say, within this system. He's a pretty good playmaker. Um, and a, and, a, and a great defender, all, 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 you know, all time great defender. And with Marcus Smart, he can give you something offensively, uh, and a great defender, obviously. But usually, those guys, they're usually not the most skilled guys. They usually don't. They they're not gonna. They don't really scare you offensively that much. Usually, usually. But they. But you always gotta have a guy like that. <laughs> like I swear, you always gotta have a guy like that. That's just like chirping in the opposing team star ear. Like you just have to have that. And with Draymond Green, that is that was on full display. I I thought in the first half, like and sometimes his antics cross the line of a little bit like too much and overboard. It does. I I'd be the first to admit it. But you you love guys like that. Like I said. If you are a teammate of his, you love him. He's probably your favorite teammate. You ask Steph Curry who's his favorite teammate, he, he, you know, he probably say Draymond Green. You ask Jason Tatum who's his favorite teammate, you ask Jalen Brown, like, you ask who that, it's probably Marcus Smart because you love those guys as teammates. But, boy, I mean, as, as you know, if you're playing up against them, you hate them. Every championship team has it. And with Draymond, he was, I, I thought, some, like I said, at times, some of the antics were a bit overboard, a bit a bit too much. It crosses the line of, you know, of passion and energy and effort to a little bit too much. But he got a technical, you know, he got a couple fouls. But boy, he played, he played his tail off on defense tonight. He played his tail off. Um... And you can see, I, I felt like honestly, I was I was watching the game. I'm like, Draymond Green came to the arena tonight with this on his mind. Like Draymond Green was on demon time. Okay, like like he was on demon time. Uh, Draymond Green was on demon time. Like you know, like I said, it was nothing like nothing at home happened, but you could tell Draymond woke up, came to the arena, and he knew that they had to set a tone like there was a there was a certain type of sense of urgency that the warriors needed and as draymond being like the heartbeat and the enforcer that he is of this team he bought it he bought it tonight he was his his shenanigans his antics were they were they were they were they were at an all-time high tonight in the first half and he was just chirping Grant Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, got on a lot of dudes' faces tonight. And, 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 and you need that energy, especially in times like this with the Warriors. It was, you know, because it was a it was a must-win game. Because the first half, um, Boston, I think in the in the first quarter, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had a combined 28 of the Celtics' 30 first quarter points. So they were really Brown and Tatum. They were really, really effective in the first half, uh, and especially in the first quarter, where they was able to get to the rim. Tatum had a better shooting night, but you can tell, like after the third quarter blitz that the Warriors had, 
the Celtics, you know, they had them. They were in the mindset like, hey, we did our jobs. We came to Golden State. We came, we came, we came to San Francisco. We stole a game. That like that was that's what they needed to do. And with Boston, I mean, and with Golden State, it was like you could tell they wanted to win this game and they wanted to win it like in convincing fashion. And I thought I thought that was very much needed. Um, heading back up to Boston for Game Three, I thought that was very much needed from Golden State and Draymond Green, um, and his energy and just his effort. Like you look at the stat sheet, like nine points, you know, couple of you know, few assists. I think he had what five assists, seven assists, you know, seven rebounds or whatever, five rebounds, you know, whatever. He had like nine, seven, and five. And you look at that, and you're like, oh, you know, what that stat line really don't do much, but like. You got to watch the game. He was all over the place. And here's my thing with the Celtics. Here, here, and I think these are two big things. First, I already kind of talked about it. But Marcus Smart offensively, I think he's going to be the key. Boston is a defensive-minded team. The officiating, with the way how we're, you know, we're seeing with the, we're seeing the officiating. They're going to let both teams play physical. That's advantage Boston. But they're going to let both teams really, really play physical. And Marcus Smart, offensively, Boston's a defensive-minded squad. Tatum and Brown are their two best scorers. But then outside of Tatum and Brown, Marcus Smart has to be that guy that gives you a little bit more production. With Al Horford, one for four tonight, obviously it was a different story in game one in the fourth quarter. Um, all of the all the Celtic starters had a negative plus minus. Now I know some people don't like analytics and the advanced stats, but I do think over time, over over amount of time, I do give some credence to the plus minus stat. And I thought Jason Tatum's negative thirty six plus minus was atrocious. And with Boston. If they play, I give you, and I have Golden State winning this series, but I say this. If Boston play a certain way, they should win this series. Or they have, I think they would have a great chance at winning this series if they play a certain type of way. And I say this, I say that, and, and the question is like, can they play that way, obviously? And usually, like, you hear Stephen A talk about bad teams, like, Oh, this team is allergic to prosperity. You know, you you often hear a lot of people use that term, allergic to prosperity, allergic to success. And with the Celtics, they they at times they are a team when when they have success or when they're having success, they sometimes struggle to identify what's causing that success. What's the cause of that success? Like, for instance, with Jason Tatum, game one and two. Game one, he shot the ball horribly. But in game two, he shot the ball a little bit better. Six for nine from three, eight for 19 from the field at 28 points. You look at his scoring numbers, his shooting numbers, game two versus game one, you're like, oh, he played better in game two. But honestly, I would say he played better in game one. Despite the shooting woes in game one, 
I thought he played better in game one. And I think in game one, he was more engaged defensively, really good defensively. And the way how Golden State was defending him and the way how they're going to continue to defend him, it it somewhat forces Tatum to be a playmaker at times. And he ended up with 13 assists. He ended up with 13 assists. I think that was the most by uh, by a player in a finals debut. He ended up with 13 assists. So, like, and then, so for game two, Tatum automatically came back and was like, I need to have a better shooting night. I need to be able to score the ball more effectively. But, like, sometimes you got to recognize when your team is having success, you got to identify, like, what's the reason for that success? And for the reason, the reason, you know, the Celtics won game one wasn't because Tatum had a great shooting night. It's because Golden State forced him to play a certain way within constraints, and he found advantages, and he was able to playmake at a high level in game one. So sometimes, you know, you have this thing where you can be allergic to prosperity. So when you're having success, it's, it's, sometime, it's sometimes a struggle to really identify what's the reason for the success. And I thought Jason Tatum was a, it was a clear example of that tonight where I think he forgot or he didn't, not necessarily forgot, but probably just didn't identify, okay, what's the reason why we was having success in game one? Oh, I was playmaking at a high level, not necessarily shooting the ball well, but I played, I was engaged defensively, I was really good defensively, and I was playmaking at a high level and getting others involved. Game two, he came back out, he had a better shooting game, but I would argue he played better basketball in game one. So that's what I mean with Boston. Sometimes they struggle with, you know, when they're having success, they struggle to identify and point out the reasoning and the cause for the success. So that's my, those are my two things. Those are my two keys for Boston um, going further into the series. In game two, oh, in game three, also another thing. When Boston is the underdog, they play better. I don't know what it is, but that's what I've noticed. When Boston is the underdog, they play better. They 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 play better. But when they are favorites or when there's some type of expectation, they sometimes play down. They they like they play below expectations and they sometimes end up losing. Here's the examples. Going back to game 3. Boston hasn't lost back-to-back playoff games this year. So the expectation for, you know, a lot of people's expectation is that, hey, Boston's going to bounce back real, real strong at home in game three. I ain't gonna, I'm not going to say they're going to lay an egg, but don't be surprised if Boston, you know, with them having a little bit more expectation, don't be surprised if they're tight. Boston has a tendency when they are favorites or when they have the advantage or when there's expectations, Boston get a little tight. Back in the Miami series, after they won a uh, after they won a convincing game five, a critical game five in convincing fashion, 
the expectation was, hey, okay, Boston, they won. Miami looks dead in the water. Going back up to Boston for game six, the Celtics, are closing, they should close the series out. Nope. They got tight. Jimmy, also Jimmy Butler went crazy, but they got tight down the stretch because they still had a chance to win the game down the stretch, and they got tight, and they lost. So in, in Boston, you know, we think of the TD Garden as, a you know, as, it typically as a, as a home court advantage. But Boston, the last nine games at home, they're five and four. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's not – it hasn't been a real home court advantage for them because they're in the last nine games, they're five and four at home. At home. So, we're, we're, those are my things with Boston. And with Golden State to end this thing off, with Golden State – the key for them tonight uh, in game two, I would say, was points off of turnovers. I thought, Dre, like I said, Draymond Green, I, I, I have – there was just a couple of possessions. And one could argue that, like, he got away with some fouls or whatever. But every team – both teams are playing physical, like I said. But I thought they were – Draymond had a couple – he had a several possessions where, like, he put on a clinic – defensively like he like it was like a master class defensively and then i'm and then gary payton the second gary Payton, gary gary payton the second i thought played really well and he gave the warriors a different look and you know it also helps when a guy like gp2 is really really good defensively arguably the the the, the warriors best wing defender arguably but it also helps when he can give you a little bit of offense too, because sometimes with guys like that, that's really really good defensively, but they have some tweaks and flaws offensively. They can be a negative offensively. It's always a bright sign if Gary Payton can hit a shot or two, so the defense kind of you know defense kind of has to respect him. But Draymond Green and GP two and GP two on defense was really big for the Warriors. And I thought 33 points off of turnovers for the Warriors allowed them to do what they do best, play with pace and space and get out in the open floor. I thought that I thought that was really, really huge. I thought that was huge for the Warriors, um, for them to do that, for them to be able to get out in the open court, push the tempo, have that third quarter avalanche, and play at their pace that they like to play at. Obviously, Steph was being Steph. No surprise there. But I also thought Jordan Poole. With the Warriors, you're going to need more consistent play from Klay Thompson. It seemed like Jordan Poole came alive, um, you know, made some shots and so forth. But Jordan, I mean, Klay Thompson, he's going to have to give you a little bit more. Four for 19. Like I said, he made – he. There were some shots that I thought there were it was some big shots to extend the lead in the third quarter, but he's gonna have to shoot better than four for 19 and one for eight from three. He's Clay gonna have to be better than that. Um he's gonna have to be better than that. Simple as that. But I, I with the Warriors tonight, um with game two, I should say, I'm sorry. Uh they play they played really well defensively. They in they they intensified their defensive effort and intensity. Boston shot really wasn't falling like it was in game in game one, especially in the fourth quarter. Just they just didn't have the same rhythm. 
um, in terms of the shot making. But like I said, I think if they can get consist more consistent production from Marcus Smart, that'll enhance their offensive ceiling. Um, going to be really important and key for them to get uh to get you know Robert Williams a little bit more healthy, a little bit more healthier. Because uh, at times you could tell he was a bit hobbled. Um, so we'll see further notes on that. But like I said, this is just a quick little recap. Not not necessarily all of my thoughts, but some of my first couple of thoughts that's come that have come to my mind um, after game two. But like I said, the series is going back to Boston or going to Boston. I shouldn't say going back, but going to Boston for game three. Uh, like I said, you can expect a episode to like a like a real episode to drop on Wednesday. Uh, so that'll be game that'll be game three. But Wednesday morning, you will have an episode. Uh, to listen to, but I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is, like I said, just my quick first, you know, first couple thoughts on the first two games. Both teams have split. Uh, I think we really have a good series. I think we're going to have a really, really good series. And I even say this. Like, after the first quarter, I was like, boy, that was that was an interesting quarter of basketball. But I want to see how this series develop and continue. But we may have one of the best series. We might have one of the best final series on our hands right here. Like, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people when it comes to, like, great final series, the 20, and just recent bias. Not, I, I, I can't, and maybe this is what I'll do for Wednesday episode. This is maybe an idea for Wednesday episode. Maybe I will uh, give you guys the list of, my favorite final series or the best final series. But, you know, maybe we can do that for Wednesday. But I know for recent, you know, for recency bias purposes, I know a lot of people, when they think of great finals, they think of the 2016 finals. And I understand why there's like, you know, the the storyline, LeBron, Cleveland winning the championship, you know, Kyrie being great and, the 3-1 comeback and Draymond, you know, it, it, it was a, it, a lot happened in those seven games. But if we're being real, a lot of those games were blowouts. <laughs> like almost every game outside of the seventh game was a blowout. There's some really, really key, memorable, historic moments, you know. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, Cleveland coming back and winning – you know, you know, coming back from a three-one deficit, uh, LeBron and Kyrie scoring forty, both scoring forty in Game Five. Like, there's a lot of key and historic moments, but in terms of the series, both teams were blowing out each other left and right. Games one and two, uh, I think the Warriors had blew out uh, Cleveland. Game three, Cleveland had blew out. Uh, Golden State game four, Golden State blew out Cleveland game five. You know, Cleveland won by a sizable margin game six. Cleveland had blew them out. And then game seven, we had a great game seven. It was a really good game seven. But first six games of that series was kind of a blowout. So, I, I you know, if you th- that can be your favorite. I know that's probably a lot of people's favorite. But in terms of like one of the best finals or the best finals, I don't know because. You know, there was a lot of blowouts, but 
that might be something we can talk about and discuss on Wednesday's episode. Like I said, this is supposed to be quick, um, you know, quick and rapid. So I've wrapped this bad boy up. But without further ado, hope you guys enjoyed. Like I said, I'll be back on Wednesday. So tune in for Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Tune in. I'll be back. Uh, but catch you guys. Good night. Sleep well. <laughs> Peace. I'm out.